Hi, today we're talking to Associate Professor Michael Nagel from the University of the Sunshine Coast. Now, Mike has just uh, co-authored a book titled Becoming Autistic, How Technology is Altering the Minds of the Next Generation. So, Michael, can you just have a chat to me about what some of the challenges are linked to screens that you've been looking at for over a decade? Sure, sure. And um, thank you for having me. Um, for you know, more than 10 years now, I, I've kind of been um, alerting parents and teachers alike that these devices that we take for granted and, and that we, we often don't think about uh, might be having a deleterious impact on the developing brain because... Um, whether your listeners know it or not, it's just important to recognize that, you know, our brains don't fully mature until we're in the third decade of life. And there's a lot of things that go on in the first sorry, four or five years of life in the early years, and also in the teen years when the brain's restructuring itself. And so the question is, we know that neurodevelopment is a product of nature and nurture. So the nurturing part of it's like, what, what are kids absorbing from the environment? What impact might that be having on their developing brains? Now, 10 or 15 years ago, when I first started going down this path and looking at the literature and research and, and embarking on my own research, it was very difficult to say anything other than there's a lot of correlational studies because it, we can't take a group of kids and create an experimental design to see how much screen use we can inundate them with and, and before it hurts them. <laughs> We'd never get ethical clearance for it. So um, the reality is that we started to see, you know, prior to the turn of the century on most psychometric measures, most measures of well-being, young people were doing very well uh, in their measures of self-esteem, happiness, and life satisfaction. From about 2000 onwards, that started to decline, and precipitously from about 2007, which coincidentally is when the first smartphones really became available en masse. Increasingly so, over that, since that period of time, we've seen a marked and a worrying trend in measure, all kinds of measures of stress um, and anxiety-related disorders, mental health issues, and there seem to be, seems to be strong connections to uh, on-screen time and and those challenges. Most recently, in the last four or five years, um, researchers coming out of um, Romania, in fact, was a clinical psychologist in Romania, coined the term virtual autism, whereby he was seeing um, uh, oh, consumption of more than, say, four hours a day of, of a virtual environment seem to activate behaviors similar to those found in children diagnosed with ASD. And so he was in his clinical practice was seeing kids who for all intents and purposes over a period of time didn't display any measures of ASD and suddenly did. And so he started looking into it and doing some studies. And this term virtual autism has now become part and parcel with scientific literature uh, where we're seeing children who prior to having intensive, being exposed to intensive screen use, didn't display any measures of ASD and who suddenly were. And the key question is, well, what's going on? And it turns out that uh, intensive screen usage, and by intensive screen usage, we're saying four hours per day or more, seems to be having a deleterious impact on the brain. So much so that recent studies, last couple of years, brain imaging studies are showing sort of regions that are associated with um, uh, ASD in, in normal brains are, or sorry, ASD in individuals who have autistic spectrum disorder are manifesting in kids who, who were never diagnosed with this based on screen use. In other words, there seems to be almost a causal connection between screen use and changes to the structure of the brain. 
it's early days yet, so we can't really say that using screens over extended periods of time is causing these behaviors. But there is some strong evidence to suggest that that's actually what might be happening. And we don't know how reversible that might be at this stage. Yeah. And four hours doesn't actually seem that long, does it? When we think about how long, you know, students are spending, um, you know, in front of screens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. It, and if you take, well, take into account the fact that if children are spending time on screens at school and then time on screens outside of school at home and in conjunction with doing schoolwork at home, as well as all the other stuff they use for, for uh, screens, it's just a question of how much time is too much time. And, and the important message of the book, too, was not to somehow suggest that having ASD was some kind of deficit. But, you know, the psychological literature is pretty pronounced. ASD is, is a diagnosable autistic spectrum disorder. It is a, is a challenge for individuals to have it. Um, and it's not saying, it, it's not put, putting measure of worth on an individual, but having ASD presents challenges for individuals and for teachers and parents who are working with children uh, who have ASD. So what we're trying to say is that parents shouldn't beat themselves up if their kids are suddenly displaying these behaviors, because it turns out, interesting enough, this same gentleman, Marius Zanfer, who coined the term virtual autism, found that if you just engage in a, in a measure of digital detox, is what he called it, by having kids uh, off devices and in the natural environment uh, for anywhere from roughly a week, all of those symptoms just disappeared. Mm. And, and so what we the whole intent of the book, as controversial as the title might be for some people, was to say to parents, don't beat yourself up. But what we do know, we have decades of research that tell us what do children need for a normal, healthy development, um, you know, being with other kids, and as teenagers as well, engaging in social gatherings, other kids. We have all of this literature that tells us this. So it's about shifting the balance. If your son or daughter is spending too much time in a virtual world, you have to shift that balance so they're spending more more time in the real world. And that that was the fundamental message of, of the book. Fantastic, Mike. Um, I guess when we're also talking about, um, you know, screen time and those types of things, do you have an opinion about screen time in schools and, you know, teachers then asking students to, you know, be on screens to do homework and that sort of stuff? Part of Yes, part of the difficulty with screen time on schools is actually what are the, what are the students doing on those screens during screen times? So it's very hard to manage. So most of the evidence that I've seen, and again, this will come might come across as very controversial, is that um, there doesn't seem to be any real substantive evidence saying that kids need to be on screens in primary school whatsoever, and that in high school it probably is only to do research activities. In other words. There isn't a lot of evidence to suggest that being on screens actually contributes to any substantive academic outcomes. In fact, um, the OECD, the same organization that you know does the PISA um, worldwide studies every two to three years looking at scientific math and, and uh, English aptitude with 15-year-olds, uh, published a report in 2015 that anyone can go on the OECD and get it. I think it's called School um, Technology or Computers in Schools, where the director of the OECD in 2015 said, for all intents and purposes, technology was not a, a very good mechanism for advancing educational outcomes and, and questions its efficacy. Now, that's the educational side. From a mental health standpoint, a lot of the evidence I've looked at basically says that um, children 13 and under should not have access to a smartphone. It's not necessary. Uh, beyond 13, it should be limited to the opportunities for um, communication, which is either 
you know, being able to make phone calls, text, or GPS. Because a lot of parents want their children to have phones for safety concerns, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's just a problem or not, because kids are actually quite safe. Um, and so the evidence around phone use suggests that it, it's really questionable whether or not a, a, a one or two year old should have access to to a smartphone, because uh, it on face value, what the research evidence suggests that it's just it's simply not necessary, and it just it's exacerbated in schools when schools are having kids on devices all the time. Fantastic, Mike. Were there any other sort of main developments that you have um, put out in the book at all that you'd like to share? Yeah, one of the most interesting things I'll, I'll maybe end up with this is that it's it's easy to consider, I suppose, um, challenges around screen time and early development. You know, because we we know kids like to run around and play and stuff, and that, that's all very healthy. We've got to, but one of the interesting things that's coming out of the research literature too is that in the teenage years, when when kids are going through puberty and the brain's really restructuring itself, one of the downsides of too much time on screen and the evidence is suggesting is that it impacts upon an advanced development of theory of mind or the capacity to put yourself in someone else's shoes, whereby we're seeing that uh, younger and younger generations are actually very poor at taking another person's perspective. Now, we theorize in the book that what that has led is actually, it's one of the reasons why we have um, such difficulty in coming to uh, shared understanding of ideas, particularly with the younger generation and cancel culture. Because if you can't put yourself in someone else's shoes, then how do you actually consider their perspective? And uh, Dr. Rachel Sharman, my co-author in the book, was actually uh, telling me the other day, because we're looking at doing a second volume, uh, some really interesting research that's come out of the US where talking to 16 and 17 year old kids and giving them sort of moral dilemmas that have done in history, and they literally can't think about how someone else might feel. Like they, they literally can't do it, even when giving cues and responses. You know, and and so that is a real worrying trend. If if it is indeed the the reality that screens are actually impairing or impacting upon our capacity to take in someone else's perspective, that doesn't bode well for society when when we really need to get along with one another. Mm, definitely. Oh, there's some great topics there that uh, that you brought up, Mike. Thanks very much for um, taking the time out to discuss it with me today. It was great. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Natalie. Uh, thank you, Michael. Bye. Bye.